I don't know when I've enjoyed an exhibit more. Mm. The artist's choice to make that still life a monochrome was a stroke of genius. Conveyed such despair. Yes, it was so refreshing to see a sad peach. And have you ever gone to a museum or looked in an art gallery and you say, Oh my God, that is junk. That is crap. I can do so much better than that. And not only that, I would never, never consider painting a sad peach. I would not want to isolate despair in a painting. I would want a painting to give me hope. And when I look through my own mind, I'll speak as as myself now, when I look through my own mind, that is what I want from artwork. Whether it's a movie or a book or whether it's a statue or a painting, what I want to do is to make me feel Ah, excited about my life, excited about the possibilities, excited about my world. So when I leave a movie theater after I've paid a lot of money to go in there, I don't buy the popcorn, but paid a lot of money, I want to feel like, wow, that was a great movie. I feel better about the world. I feel better about my life. And that is the wonderful role of art. If you want to learn more about the role of art in your life, there's a a little book, The Romantic Manifesto by Ayn Rand, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D. If you want to experience something wonderful in art, you could read her novels, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Those books changed my life. I went back to school and got my PhD in psychology instead of knitting socks on circular needles. And right now, I am Dr. Alan Kenner. My show's The Rational Basis of Happiness. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I can take your calls and questions on any problems you're having in your life. My number's toll-free, 1-877-DR-KENNER, D-R-K-E-N-N-E-R. And you can go to my website, drkenner.com. Lots of information on it. D-R-K-E-N-N-E-R dot com. And right now, I want to welcome jo- Jeff to the show. Jeff, you're having some difficulty in dating? Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Kenner. My problem is is uh, I have a very tough time approaching women that I'm attracted to, say, if I'm out at a bookstore, you know, strange women that I'm attracted to, strangers yes. to me. Uh, I just have a very hard time approaching them. And that's not really the unusual thing, because um, a lot of us are like that, but I... I'm very familiar with your work. I'm familiar with other psychologists. I've gone over this issue time and time again. And uh, even though I know, the, I believe I know the um, the basic principles to go about uh, approaching women under these under these conditions, I still have this problem. I still have this problem where I shut down. I get very nervous. Oh, uh, I yeah. can't seem to get over it. Okay. Do you have you ever? Uh uh, do you know how to take a nervous emotion and tease it apart and actually get to the bottom of it and then to find some data that doesn't support that feeling and end up with a much less nervous emotion? Uh, yeah, I, I should say that um, I have made strides in this area and I uh, I do approach women at times, but usually, it's, uh, usually I... I have to be very reassured that a woman likes me as well or has or has an interest in me as well and What's I go through this process and it yeah. usually takes a lot of time okay and uh, that's one of my problems what well. do you say to yourself when you let's say that you uh, that I'm a strange woman or stranger obviously and I'm in Barnes and Nobles or Borders bookstore and you see me you want to approach me what would your first thought be that you're aware my, of. My, my first thought is, is 
what is she going to think of me? Uh-huh. And what I uh, what I should interject here is, I know the principle is uh, again that I should be thinking primarily what um, I think of her. Her what I what when I speak with her, I want to know who she is and if she's right for me. But right. I still have that premise that uh, she's judging me. I'm not going to measure up. Uh, so I have some insecurities in this regard. So okay. I understand the principle, but I still can seem to put it into action. Okay, so if if that's what you're feeling, that you're not going to measure up, um, and you know what you want to be feeling, you like if you go in to buy um, a car, or what is something that you've bought recently? I actually bought a car l- less than a year ago. Well, you don't think... Will I measure up to the car? You think what? I think I think will this car be right for me? Will it, will it give me enough uh, gas mileage to go back and forth to work each day? So you know, I kick the tires and slam the door. Love it, <laughs> love it. You need to kick the tires and slam the door of women, and obviously uh, not literally. It, you, that's it, the fact that you can capture that attitude in buying an inanimate object, a car. You can see that you have that mental policy already in your mind of what would make me, what would please me, what would I enjoy? And I'm not saying that in a relationship, it's obviously she's going to be judging you equally. If if you're always thinking there's I'm defective and if I get too close, she's going to criticize me again, my guess is you've had a lot of history practicing that from your childhood. Right. That, you know, I can remember in my own family, you know, bringing home the report card was a moment that, you know, I kind of stood on, I was being evaluated by my parents and by my teachers and the little comments, you know, Ellen needs to read more, right. that, that they would write on it. It's like, oh, no, I, I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Or it could be I'm unlovable. If you have a parent that re- you feel rejects you, whether or not they do is a sec- separate issue. But if you have a parent that makes you feel unlovable because you don't follow their values, right. then you're... Yeah, pe- I, go I ahead. had that with my father. Tell me about that. Um, well, I never... I, for instance, I was a very skinny kid. And when I was going through high school, I was lifting weights in order to be more attractive to women primarily, you know, girls back then, of course. Uh, and I would set goals for myself. I want to be 160 pounds by this time. And my father would say, you'll never do it. I talked to someone who knows about weightlifting. It's impossible. You can't do that. My father would un- undercut me a lot. Okay. So that is a parenting error. That's actually a logical fallacy. When It's called the fortune-telling error. I could walk into my son's room and say, you know, it's a mess, and you'll never become anything in life. Right. What, did, what did I just do? I made a huge leap from one little messy room that everyone has. I have it. Right. To you'll be a failure in life coming from an important person. Right. It, it primes you to feel like people are always evaluating you. And you notice we don't think that they're evaluating us positively. They're yeah. always flaw-finding, looking for uh, problems with us. Another thing um, that I notice, if I can bring it up briefly, yeah. is uh, I notice sometimes when, when I know that a woman likes me. For instance, I like a woman right now. Before I go to work, I stop by a Starbucks each day. Yeah. There's a woman there who smiles at me or had been smiling at me and eyeing me and showed some interest in me. And I would 
So I would ignore her. And yeah. I would um, ask myself, why am I doing this? And I thought very hard about this and introspected a lot. And I found out that I felt, um, I felt a sort of anger towards women. This was my way of getting back at women from my past who rejected me. Okay. And it's just a, a way of treating women as a collective and not treating her as an Wonderful individual. that you're able to see each person as an individual. Notice your self-talk is all important. All that stuff you say to yourself when you're in borders about to meet that woman, or, you know, to introduce yourself, um, and everything you say to the other woman, uh, you, or you don't say to the Starbucks woman, and then you start to generalize about women, uh, all of that self-talk is important, and that's what needs to be challenged. And sometimes you have to go back and actually put an invisible father in an empty chair and talk back to him in private, in therapy. We call that the empty chair technique, where it's like, Dad, I'm sick of this. I can lift weights, I'm going to do what I want, and then that somewhat liberates you to say, I'm in the driver's seat. So sometimes you take those significant events and can replay them. I would recommend the book Mind Over Mood by uh, Dennis Greenberger and Christine Podetsky on my website, drkenner.com. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance by Drs. Kenner and Locke. The experience of shared sexual pleasure is important because it greatly strengthens the bond between partners as long as there's a bond to strengthen. Sex can reinforce romantic love, but it cannot create closeness from thin air. It is the expression of love, not its cause. Sex cannot create self-esteem that is lacking in one or both partners. As a celebration, sex expresses self-value, but it cannot fill the void of non-self-value. Lack of sex or unsatisfying sex often undermines a romantic relationship by weakening the existing bond between partners. Sexual dissatisfaction can undermine feelings of closeness and intimacy and send the relationship on a downward spiral that spreads far beyond sex, especially when one or both partners' frustration and anger leads to progressively less sexual satisfaction for both. Download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and at amazon.com.